There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I couldn't live my life there. I couldn't. I looked into my future if I was to stay and it just was just... There had to be a better life. Matt Cook grew up in what's been described as an extremist cult. He was raised in the Exclusive Brethren, which is now called Plymouth Brethren, and is known for being conservative while at the same time controlling. All in the name of Christianity. They believe the world is wicked and keep themselves isolated from what they perceive to be evil. But this isn't the Bible Belt in Middle America. This is the suburbs of Perth, Western Australia. I tried for so many years to justify how it wasn't a cult because my family and everyone in the church were so adamant that it wasn't. But when you look at the characteristics of a cult, it does fit all the boxes. 10 News First reporter Brendan Crew with this story. This letter is to my mum, my brother and my sister. I miss you every day. I cherish our memories every day. And I think about you every day. I'm sorry for the pain that you have gone through because of me leaving. Knowing that I was responsible for that has followed me for years. Always carrying the burden of causing my loved ones pain. I know it is difficult for you to understand or believe that I chose happiness for my life. I was destined to be more, to do more, and to reach higher. From a very young age, I knew that I was different and I didn't belong. I was a misfit. I felt like the black sheep, not of the family, but of the church. And through my teenage years, especially, I hated myself. I hated myself for being a disappointment to my family. I hated myself for being different. I hated myself for being gay. For many years, I did everything in my power to remove it, to change it, to disguise it, to pray it away. I was disgusted in myself. And that is how I was raised to feel that it was evil. After leaving, when I was 21, it took me many more years to even begin to love myself. It took me a long time to unpack the years of trauma, of misinformation, of damage, of shame, of lack of self-worth, self-love. I made mistakes, I got lost from time to time, I got angry, I hurt people, and I hurt myself. I've made a lot of choices to be where I am today, but 
My sexuality is not a choice. It's who I am. And it's who I was born as. And if you love me, you must love me for that as well. I took the blame of dad passing. Uh, I wore it with a heavy heart. I couldn't grieve properly with my family and you couldn't grieve properly with me. And it's taken me all this time to heal. There is a missing piece in my heart, but I pray every day that we can reunite someday properly. And with a sense of mutual understanding and acceptance, follow that gut feeling of family, of devotion, of love. Put aside the church for a moment and ask yourself, is it worth it? And if there is a chance of us having a relationship, I know how much you love me. Mum, every time you send me an email, I cherish it. I read it over and over again. You tell me that you love me and it makes me cry with happiness. You tell me that I'm precious to you, that you appreciate me, and that you won't give up on me. Thank you for not giving up on me, for trying and for giving me all the love in the world, for teaching me, for raising me to be kind, respectful, honest, and loving. These life lessons have stuck with me and have made me into the man that I am today. I love you. The Brethren tells its members that they are the chosen ones and controls what they learn at school. Television, radio, even pets are banned. Brethren aren't allowed to socialise or live with non-members as the outside world is seen as being morally corrupt. As a gay man growing up within the confines of the Brethren, Matt knew he was different and knew he had to get out. This is Matt's story. My childhood was full of love and laughter and happiness, especially in the younger years. My dad was a had his own picture framing business where he'd sell artworks and prints and mirrors and we would be yeah, travelling around the state um, in his Volkswagen Caravelle. I um, remember playing dolls with my sister in the cubby house. <laughs> I never really wanted to play sport with my brother. I didn't really know why I was more interested in that, but it kind of makes sense now. <laughs> so I went to primary school in Perth, and then high school was when I went to the Brethren High School. Regular primary school, but not quite a regular primary school experience, I guess. I felt different because I wasn't uh, allowed to watch TV with the other kids, so every time that would come into the classroom, I would exit. I wasn't allowed to learn about certain topics like evolution. I wasn't allowed to eat lunch with the other kids, so I went home for lunch. So there was a lot of things from the very beginning that made me sort of feel a little bit like an outcast, different to the other kids. They didn't really pick on me in those early years, but they definitely asked lots of questions and were always confused as to why I wasn't watching the TV with them. For me, I didn't really understand what I was missing out on, so I kind of was a little bit jealous of what they had. I couldn't relate to their conversations. Lots of references that I just went over my head, so yeah, I was definitely jealous of, jealous of that. 
And what sort of role did religion play in your family unit? Uh, yeah, it was a huge part of my childhood. So every day after school, would come home, do homework, have dinner, and then go to church. So every evening I was in church. And then on the weekends was pretty much taken up by church as well. It was just a huge part of my life. It was the main part of my life. The religion is called the Brethren or the Plymouth Brethren. I think when I was a kid, it was referred to as the Exclusive Brethren. I think now they call themselves the Plymouth Brethren or the Plymouth Brethren Church, something like that. Uh, essentially, it's a Christian group here in Australia and also around the world. Christianity is, is the core, but their main motto, I guess, is no compromise, which kind of meant that any contact with the outside world was not allowed. So there was no TV, there was no radio. I think there was newspapers, but that was about the extent of finding out what was going on in the outside world. There was no sport clubs, there's no like after school activities, no swimming lessons, so it was very limited. Uh, in the church itself, the church would be run by the men. The women would sit at the back of the church and the men at the front. You know, the preachings and the comments and everything would all be from the men and the women would stay silent. In the home as well, you know, it was very, the men go to work and provide and the women are housewives. They look after the kids, um, they cook the food. So very, very traditional, old fashioned roles. Girls have to wear, I think like a headscarf or something in their hair to being protected by the angels or something. Especially to church, they would wear like a full headscarf and would wear like long, long dresses. So it was very, they had to be very respectful, not show skin, um, not cut their hair, not wear makeup. So very, very restricted in what they could do. I think it probably came from good intentions. You know, they wanted to keep worldly influences out, but sort of became quite controlling. And then it's more about controlling rather than protecting. I would always ask my parents why we weren't allowed to watch TV and they would just give me the same answer that it was of the world and that it was evil. And I think they kind of like scared me a little bit. So I would be like, okay, well, I don't want to be exposed to anything evil. So I would just, you know, retreat and continue on. But it was sort of when I was coming into my teenage years, I really started to question pretty much everything. It was a bit confusing because I couldn't really talk to anyone about it. As soon as I sort of voiced any kind of doubt or concern, it would be turned around and they would say, if you have doubts, then you have to, so you have something to confess. Like, you know, you're not right within yourself. You need to come to God and then you won't have doubts. Rather than giving me actual answers as to why things were the way they were or why there were certain rules in place, it was very much turned around and you're made to feel like you shouldn't be asking. It probably was when I was 18, that was the point where I was like, this is a possibility I could actually get out of it. You know, I'm an adult now. But it was very scary to do so because I knew that if I did anything, it could be tracked and traced and it could all backfire. So I really wanted to plan to leave as best as I could without it being obvious or without anyone sort of picking up on my plan. The people that I did know that had left the church, obviously they were completely cut off so once they had left, you know, never saw or heard of them again. Their family and their friends and everyone would cut ties completely. And yeah, they would just disappear, essentially. It was the most difficult decision to make because I knew the ramifications that it would come with. 
and especially as a Yeah, especially as um, a young adult, it was heart destroying. It it made me question whether I was a good person for even thinking that I could leave and hurt my family like that. Leaving your family is gonna be the toughest thing to do ever. Yeah. How did you build up the courage? Uh, it took it took a long time. It took many years of, uh, you know, going over that in my head and trying to decide whether it was the right decision to make. Um, I didn't want to lose contact with my family. Like, that's the last thing I wanted. You know, it was the church that I didn't want to be part of. It was the, the whole construct, the whole belief system that I just wanted to get away from. I couldn't live my life there. I couldn't, I looked into my future if I was to stay and it just was just black, you know, it was just nothing. There had to be a better life. I didn't want to even consider the fact that I could be gay because that would just be another thing on top of everything else that I was dealing with. I, I knew it was something that they hated, you know, they hated homosexuality and they considered it evil. I remember there being one older man in the Brethren Church who was found out or was exposed for being gay and he became like the laughing stock of the whole church like worldwide you know everyone knew his name talked about him behind his back and it was horrible like it was just so unchristian it was horrible so I was making all these plans you know how am I gonna get out where am I gonna go where am I gonna work what am I gonna do to stay alive? I didn't even know how I was gonna make friends, you know, because I knew that by leaving, I would have to cut ties with all my family, all my friends, everyone that I've known since I was a child. I severely lacked like just your normal social skills that regular kids have, you know? I didn't know how to approach people. I didn't know how to make friends. The first thing I did was I thought, well, maybe my primary school friends, I could reach out to them. I haven't seen them in like seven years. So I did. I started to find some people and was reconnected. And at that point, I was like, well, maybe I should look for another church that isn't so extreme and so controlling. So I did. I did that. I found a, a Pentecostal church that had like a youth group. On a Friday night, I rocked up at the youth group and it was great. Like it was the first time I actually met like-minded people. When I sort of told them my story, they were so supportive and that was a, like a turning point for me. I was like, okay, maybe I could actually make this happen. By the point I was 19, I started not to care as much, but I still was sort of being very careful about what I did. I remember that church that I joined sent, uh, sent a letter to my house and then my parents got the letter. They were very, really offended that I would, you know, go to another church and I was like, well, no, they're actually beautiful people. Like they've given me all this support and love that I haven't been getting from, you know, where I've been my whole life. My dad's health was quite bad at that point and he was not doing so well. He was suffering from quite a few different things and he was also became disabled. I, you know, was looking after him a lot and I think the church and the priests were a little bit easy on me and kind of let me get away with a little bit more than any other kid would. So I managed to sort of stay in the church, but preparing myself to get out for quite some years. And I think it was after my 21st birthday that I officially left. 
it wasn't my choice. Like I was still trying to drag it out a little bit more, but I didn't want to let go because I knew as soon as I did, yeah, would I would I see my mum again? Like, would I see my brother and sister? Would I see my dad? I, I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, if that would ever happen. It came to a point where the priest called me up and said, this is it, you need to make a decision today. Are you going to conform? Are you going to get rid of your worldly possessions? Are you going to get rid of all your devices, your mobile phone, your computer? Are you going to quit studying? You know, they didn't want me to study. Are you going to get rid of your other friends? Are you going to stop talking to your friends that you've made? Are you going to stop attending the other church? It's either that or you're, you're cut off. And of course, I, I knew by that point in my heart that I, I, couldn't, I couldn't conform to them anymore. So that was when it, that was when it happened. It was surreal, like the goodbye. It didn't really feel like a goodbye and I kind of was hoping that it wasn't a goodbye and it was just to see you soon. They were pleading with me not to go. There was a point where I was like, this love, like this love of family, like this is so important. But I, I knew by that point that I couldn't stay for them. I had to go for me. It feels like a lifetime ago now. I think it was over eight years ago. So I was 21, but Really, like I didn't feel like 21. You know, there was in the real world, like there was so much I had to learn. You know, there was so much that I didn't know as a regular 21 year old would know. So I did feel quite lost and confused, but luckily I had, you know, I had a place to live. I had some housemates, had some new friends. And I think with their support and them being there for me, somehow, somehow managed. I had one phone call from the priest, I think maybe like the day after saying that they had announced it within the church, that I had been uh, excommunicated. That was just like a courtesy call to say that it's, you know, it's done now. And I hung up the phone feeling quite relieved, felt lifted, you know. I felt like, okay, this is the start of something new. You know, this is my chance to build the life that I deserve. But of course my family, you know, would plead with me to come back. You know, they would send me emails saying, you know, that they missed me and they loved me and they just wanted me to come back. It was, yeah. I think it was the day I left or possibly a day or two after, but I remember them saying, this would be easier for us if you had died, which essentially they, if I died, they could grieve and they would know that I was in heaven. But because I had chosen to leave the church, they were firmly convinced that I was on a pathway to hell. Them saying that, it's like it, it haunted me, like it just, it's a horrible thing to hear, you know? I really wish they didn't say that. Did you feel guilty? Yeah, yeah, really guilty. Yeah, that was something I just had to battle with every day. Even though I, I just knew in my heart that I was doing what I needed to do, there was just this element of guilt, you know? Your dad passed away, didn't he? Yeah, even though he was battling with his health, his death still came at quite a surprise. It wasn't... It wasn't um, expected so soon. He was 50. Did you get to see him? I got a call from my brother. It was so out of the blue. It had been a couple of years since I officially left. He called me and said, something's wrong with dad. He's fallen. Um, we don't know if he's breathing. We've called the ambulance. Please come. And the whole time, you know, in the car, I was just playing this scenario in my head. I'm like, please still be alive. <sighs> And then when I got there, I just, I see him on the ground and there's blood and 
there's four paramedics performing CPR on him. And I just, I think I just knew that I was too late. I held his hand and talked to him. It was just me and him, you know. Um, I was telling him, telling him how much I loved him and how much I appreciated everything he's done for me. I told him that I was gay. Even if he had passed away, I think he hurt me. But as if that wasn't heartbreaking enough for Matt, he was soon dealt more blows by the church and by the family that had been his life. It was prior to the funeral, so on the night of him passing, all the family came over, so my uncles and my aunties, my cousins, quite a big family. And it was just surreal, like I'd, my dad just passed away. I was in shock, I was grieving, so was my mum and my brother and sister. But I was met with hostility, you know, amongst the other members of my family. And I felt like a stranger in my own family home. One thing I remember my grandpa saying to me moments after he had passed away was, Matthew, this is God sending you a message. And when he said that in that moment, I just was filled with fury. Like, how dare you say that? How dare you like blame me for my dad passing away, your own son? About a week later, the funeral happened and obviously I wanted to be part of it. Uh, I wasn't allowed to go to the church service. They made me sort of stand 15 metres away. I wanted a bit more than that. I wanted to be right there. I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to grieve with them. I just felt sad and helpless. I felt how I was feeling when I was in the Brethren. That all came sort of crashing back. You know, I was met with all these people that I hadn't seen in years and they had a front row seat to my dad's funeral and I had a back row seat. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Amos is 22 and is Matt's second cousin. He was also brought up in the exclusive Brethren environment. My dad was one of the priests in the church, so um, they were very strict. My sister's both older than me, so I grew up the youngest of the family. In grade five, I went to the school that the church had. My life would be, typically, I'd um, go to school and come home, kick the football in the backyard, have dinner, go to church, come home, go to sleep, repeat. I think it was probably just something that was in the, in the back of your mind that you were the priest's son, so you had to, I guess, be the good kid, which yeah, it didn't always go very well. My parents would come to me during my lunch breaks, and I'd sit in the car during lunch and recess. 
and just eat with my mum in the car. There was a few times I'd break the rules and sneak off and have my lunch with the kids that I wasn't meant to, <laughs> but um, definitely comments from the other, other kids, what's going on, why are you so different? I, I probably just tended to break the rules, I guess, just to fit in a bit more. My parents were very good with each other, they wouldn't disagree much, but definitely father always has the control of the house and most of the time, yeah, what he says will go. In their opinion, in the church's opinion, they have like a divine order which goes God, Jesus, man, woman, child. And you definitely saw that in the house. I love playing football and I was never able to join a sporting club and that definitely bothered me. Also, I have a very creative mind, so the types of jobs and that that we were into weren't very creative side of the brain. It's more like counting and sales, management, those sort of positions that you would take up in the church. Is that all controlled by the church? Yeah, with their, I guess, what positions you would be in as far as working, you would only work for another Brethren company. So you would only have an employer that was Brethren. And although there would be non-Brethren employees, all Brethren employees would be always by another Brethren employer. And usually the, the roles that you would be in would be more the management side of things. Um, my dad had his own company, so one day he wanted me to take over it. I realised I was gay quite early on. I spent so many sleepless nights, unfortunately, but yeah, I guess the whole time I just hoped that I could change. Growing up being the priest's son, I think I definitely did believe in a lot of the church's morals, and it took me a long time to kind of unwire those from my brain. I struggled with that a lot, and I also just would pray that if I was doing the wrong thing, that God would change my mind. But yeah, he, he hasn't yet, so. Did you reach a point where you said, I can't do this? Did you, did you see what Matt had done? Because he's older than you. Matt is my second cousin, so I don't have much of a memory of him before he left the church. I would have been about 14 at the time. We didn't have any special relationships with anyone. Our families would hang out every so often, but not too often. Actually, it's quite funny. One of my closer friends, we discussed Matt. They had seen on his social media somehow that he had some photos with some girls. So people assumed he was bisexual, not gay, because he had photos with some girls. <laughs> Apparently being bisexual was okay because there was a chance that he could end up with a girl, you know? That was all right, but if he was gay, that wasn't. All I ever wanted was someone that I could rely on and turn to and actually tell my secret to. And th these kind of conversations amongst my friends meant that I could never do that. And these were people that I'd grown up with from, you know, grade five and six that I'd spent all my life with that were talking down my sexuality and not knowing that I was gay myself. Yeah, it was definitely a big, big struggle for me. My parents discovered my sexuality and I, I really couldn't live with them knowing it and you know trying to get answers out of me and I guess heal me in their minds. They thought they could heal my sexuality. So my best friend who used to be in the church as well, him and I were both gay and we're both aware of each other being gay. So we'd discuss it over email because that was our only real form of communication I guess. And then my parents somehow got into my emails one day and that's how they found out. I was a week off turning 19. I came home from work one day and um, my mum and dad were sitting on the couch and my mum was bawling her eyes out 
and she was she was just screaming, we've got to get you through to God. We've got to get you through to the Lord. You're on loan to us from God. And my dad was just disappointed. You could just see that all over his face, just disappointment. At first I denied it and tried to make out as though it wasn't the case, but I just gave up in the end. And um, I went, went to the park and I called Matt. And that was the first time I spoke to him in six years. He said, just, just try to do your best to draw it out, but if you ever need somewhere to stay, you've got a home here. When I hadn't seen him for six years, that was pretty special. I left on my 19th birthday. It was the only day I kind of got a bit of freedom. My dad really wanted me to talk about my sexuality and what had been going on and if there was a way that they could heal me as such. And so I said, please, just it's my birthday, wait till tomorrow. And I knew that I had to get out that night. So on the way to church, I took a separate car and told my parents that my friends had organised a soccer game because it was my birthday, just an indoor soccer game, which we used to do often. And I packed a little bag of soccer clothes, which underneath I had just the essential items in case I had to just take that bag and run. But my dad found that bag and he didn't let me take that bag. So I went to the petrol station on the way down and I doubled back as soon as their car went past me and went and chucked all my clothes in bin bags and then left. I got in the car and as I was driving away, I cried. I just drove and drove, kept driving. And then once I could, you know, I composed myself enough, then I drove to Matt's. As soon as I got to Matt and Peter's, I felt a sense of relief and peace, which is, is funny because we were always taught and raised that peace would only come when you're forgiven of your sins. And this peace was something that I'd never felt before, like I was finally relieved of my burdens. My best friend, he was sitting in church when they arrived and he saw my sister and my mum walk in and then I think he said they walked back out again when they realised that I wasn't coming. But I had two phones, so I had the one that was provided by the church and one that they didn't know about. So I switched off the one that was provided by the church so that they couldn't call me and text me and that sort of thing. So I knew I wouldn't be able to deal with it. But it was definitely a tough night. I didn't really give them any explanation. I just sent them an email saying that I was safe, that they didn't need to worry about me. But of course they were definitely worried. At one point, I think, Maybe a month later, they finally managed to get a chance to sit down with me and chat. And um, my, sisters, my sisters and my niece and my mum arrived at the door. And so we sat down for maybe three or four hours and just talked. And they begged me to come back. You know, we'll, we'll support you. We'll get you the help that you need. You don't have to worry about your sexuality at the moment. We can sort that out later. We just want you home. But I'd made my decision. The Brethren itself, how did you feel when you were in it? I definitely felt trapped and controlled, but then again, you are raised like that from when you're a baby, so you don't know any different. I guess the thing that led me to kind of question my, or the church and everything like that was my sexuality. At the time, I didn't see anything wrong with anything else they were doing. Now that I've left, I, I can see so many other things wrong with it and I see what a normal world looks like. I can see so many things that were ways that they were trapping us. But yeah, when you're in there, you just don't see it. It's, it's brainwash. 
Matt agrees. Yeah, it's definitely um, some level of brainwashing. It's how you're educated as a young person. And if you're made to think that way, and if you're feared into thinking a certain way, then that's how you're going to develop as, as an adult. I think I consider myself lucky enough to have questioned things when I was younger so that I didn't fall into uh, become an adult with those mindsets, you know, because maybe I wouldn't have ever figured it out. Would you call it a cult? I tried for so many years to justify how it wasn't a cult because my family and everyone in the church were so adamant that it wasn't. But when you look at the characteristics of a cult, it does fit all the boxes, you know. It's very controlling, you know, you're kind of watched every step that you take, every decision that you make you have to get approval for. It's, yeah, it's a very controlling environment and it's not, you know, you're not free, you're not, uh, you don't have any sort of freedom or rights, it's very suppressed and controlled, so yeah, I wouldn't call it a cult. I mean, the definition is a group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or as imposing excessive control over members. Yeah, yeah, there you go, that's it. In my opinion, yes, they don't like that word. They don't like it because they probably know it's true. But also I think that, that sort of attention causes people to question. And as soon as people start to question, then they question everything and they actually start to see the bigger picture. And as much as they can keep people away from the media, that sort of thing and that attention, then they can stop people from questioning. Is that the reason for the, you know, no television, no phones, that sort of thing? I would think so, I would think so. They have their biblical reasons for it as such, but it definitely would yeah, give people the heads up that there's something not right if they were watching TV every day or had access to the radio. Today, life for Matt and Amos couldn't be any further removed from the life they knew before. It's been three years since Amos left the Brethren, and how much contact has he had with his family since then? Uh, at first, my dad kept me employed in hope that I would return. So we would contact kind of daily, but mostly about work stuff because I didn't want to talk to him about anything else and he would respect that to an extent. We would probably meet maybe once a month for a while, but in the past six months I've seen them once. Yeah, it's getting kind of longer apart. Do you miss them? Sure, yeah. You, you definitely can't ever replace a mother's love. I would give anything to have my family in my life. But I, I know for sure that I'm definitely better off where I am now. I don't think when I left I'd fully accepted myself for who I was. Um, I probably knew I couldn't escape it. But being here I grew so quickly in three years. I've learned so much about the world thanks to Matt. Yeah, I'm great. I've got the job I've always dreamed of and um, playing football doing everything I love, so yeah, I'm the happiest I've ever been, for sure. For Matt, it's been eight years since he turned his world around, and things couldn't be better. I met Peter about six years ago, and we started dating pretty much straight away. A couple of years ago, we got engaged. I was always planning to propose to Peter, but yeah, at our staff Christmas party, he surprised all of us and got down on one knee and asked me to marry him. And of course, I said yes. I met up with my sister um, before the wedding. I wanted to just at least tell them that I was getting married. I knew that 
if I asked, they wouldn't come, you know? And it wasn't even the gay thing. I knew that if I was marrying a woman, they still wouldn't come because of the fact that I'd chosen to leave the church. So I wanted to let them know, but um, yeah, I knew it was, it was futile. I think I, I just empathize because they, they think they're doing the right thing. And my beef isn't with them, it's with the church, you know? And the church has had such an impact on them that it's given them this way of thinking. It's given them this idea of what life needs to be. It's, you know, it's feared them into thinking that they need to conform so that they can go to heaven. I know that they love me dearly. I know that they have so much love for me. I don't doubt that, but it's just, the situation that they're in, it prevents them from, you know, being there, being at my wedding. But it was just such a beautiful day. It really, it was overwhelming because I looked out and I was like, I've got all these, so many beautiful people who are, who consider me family and who have been a part of my journey. And I'm just so thankful. My life is amazing. I, I, I never thought that I could be living such a fulfilling, successful, happy life, you know. It wasn't even on my radar, I didn't realise it could get this good. Uh, I have all these amazing people in my life, I have a family, you know. I've got a beautiful husband that loves me unconditionally and I feel like I have a place in this world, you know. I feel like I can make a difference and that I matter. Ten News First Person reached out to the church who say in a statement they would never stand in the way of families communicating with each other. The church says it is up to individual families as to how they manage and respond to situations. They say at the end of the day, we are Christian and it's our desire to always act with kindness and compassion. The church also denies that they're a cult. They say they're a church which was established over 180 years ago they now have more than 300 assemblies in 18 countries around the world whose members extensively engage with the wider community on a daily basis. So what help and support is available for people like Matt and Amos who make the break and have to effectively start over? In the second part of this two-part series, I talked to Roz Hodgkins, who founded Cult Information and Family Support 30 years ago after her own daughter got caught up in a religious sect. That story by Brendan Crew, Written, produced and edited by Ali Aitken. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. Hi, I'm Leah Harris. In the Where's William Tyrrell podcast, I told the story of the little boy who disappeared from his foster grandmother's home more than five years ago as the journalist who's been on the journey since day one. It's a story that is as baffling as it is heartbreaking, and I'm glad we could give William's foster parents the chance to tell their side of the story in their first interview in almost four years. 
The most recent episodes have focused on the coronial inquest into the disappearance of William Tyrrell along with the case against former lead detective on the investigation, Gary Jubilant. And I spoke with Mr Jubilant not long after he was convicted of illegally recording a person of interest in the case. You can listen to Where's William Tyrrell and our other 10 Speaks podcasts on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 